0: I'm Melody and I'm Candy and you're listening to quirks bumps
1: and bruises Well, good morning. You're on the joyride today with Melody and Candy, and we have a very special guest in here with us, Eric Simmons. Mm -hmm. Tell me your title, what all that you do at church.
2: Yeah, so I'm the associate pastor for uh, disciple making. Took that position in 2021, but I was the youth pastor prior to that for 12 years. So I've been a first Baptist since 2009. 12 years, and then 2021 is whenever I uh, moved into the position I'm in now.
1: Okay, so first question, what made you move? into the role that you're in now was that just a desire for you to start No,
0: that? the youth got on his nerves.
2: Yeah, <laughs> no. No. Uh, youth, yeah, next gen ministry is still still a very uh, big passion of mine. I started working for the convention, state convention as a consultant back in 2013 and doing stuff with youth ministry and then they moved me into more adult ministry for small groups and Sunday school and consulting and things. And so for about 6 years, the only place in the entire state of North Carolina that I was doing youth ministry or was at least to do it was at our church. Everyone else was paying me to work with adults. I was doing a lot of mentoring with youth pastors and even um, some senior pastors. Whenever um, we came out of COVID and began making some of the transitions we were making, it just seemed natural that it was probably time for me to, to start doing in our church what I did statewide.
1: So for everybody listening right now, what is the definition of discipleship?
2: Yeah, well, I like to use uh, George Robinson's definition. He's a professor at uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest, and he defines it as this. He defines it as rightly ordering the worship of another. And so if we put that in kind of layman's terms, it's the idea of meeting someone where they are uh, in their relationship with Christ and then helping them understand where Jesus is leading them and then also teaching them the skills to pursue Christ in such a way that they can teach others also. So we can back that up, biblically speaking. uh, Number one, one verse that, that we use is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. And Paul writes, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So when we talk about biblical discipleship, it always involves at least four generations, right? And we see that right here in this verse. We see uh, Paul, which is the first generation. He's passing it on to Timothy, which is the second generation. And then you're seeing faithful men, which is the third generation. And then you're seeing the word of others, right? Faithful men that can teach others also. And so this uh, discipleship is, is it's what's going on when we're looking at making disciples, right? So there's a difference between discipleship and disciple making. Discipleship is the process of making disciples. But just because you do discipleship doesn't mean you're making disciples in the sense that Jesus calls us to. Uh, you know, a lot of times in, in our churches, we practice the art of discipleship while we fail to fulfill the Great Commission's mandate of making disciples. And so, yeah, when we talk about discipleship, it's just the idea of coming alongside somebody, meeting them where they are in their walk with Christ and in helping them to rightly order the, the worship that's in their life so that they can honor Christ and then teach others to do the same.
1: So completely different from evangelizing.
2: Yeah, well, so those are two sides of the same coin. So, you know, in the Great Commission, you know, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, starting in verse 19, you know, we get, go, therefore, making uh, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do, to obey all of the things that I have commanded you, and take heart, lo, whatever your translation is, I am with you to the end of, of the age. What happened for uh, Uh, A lot of time in the church, you know, really over the last century, maybe even further back than that, is because of the English translation, we, we honed in on that word go. And, you know, which is the evangelistic aspect. So we had a lot of things uh, that were evangelistically centered that well, we just have to go. We just have to share the gospel. We have to give tracts. We have to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, do this and we have to do that. And mm-hmm. it all has to be geared towards lost people. The problem is, is that when you break that verse down in the original language, um, there's only one imperative verb or, or, or command. And it's not go. It's it's to make disciples. Mm-hmm. So in the Greek, that's mathetusate um, so. panteta ethne. Yeah. Yeah, I can can say that again. So, (laughs) not the is is the actual verb there to to make disciples. Um, You know, pantata ethne literally means of all ethnicities. Ethne is where we get our word ethnicity. And so, when you look at that in the original language, the only imperative there is to make disciples. Uh, Go, baptize, and teach to obey are all participles which modify how we fulfill the mandate of of the command of, of making disciples. And so, when you look at that, though, and you understand that, that, that the imperative is on to make disciples and not to go kind of transforms the way that you see the the, the commission. So instead of, of go, therefore, we, we really should think of it as you are going, mm-hmm. as I'm living life amongst and in the midst of lost people, because that's who I'm called to to, yeah. to reach. I should seek to make disciples of them. And, you know, the, what does that look like? Well, first of all, I have to reach them. Uh, right, we do have to lead lost people to Christ, so mm-hmm. evangelism is is absolutely essential. There is no way out of that. The second thing is is when it talks about baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Well, that's just this idea of a simulation, of bringing them into the body of Christ, and so we do that through baptism, right? Mm-hmm. The public recognition of a, of, a, of a private belief, something that doesn't save you, but it's just a public recognition that I'm confessing Christ is Lord, and I want the world to know it. But it's the idea of a simulation, bringing them into the body of Christ and making them one of us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and letting you know, be a part of a local fellowship a local church and then the the last part of making a disciple is, is teaching them to obey the things that i've commanded you right so it's kind of a cyclical effect because you know what are one of the things that Jesus commands us to do well we just read it right make disciples right. Mm-hmm. and so we go to the lost people we lead them to christ we bring them into the body through mm-hmm. baptism we assimilate them into the body we teach them to obey all things that Jesus has commanded them which means now they and us go back out we mm-hmm. reach more lost, and it's just this Continual growth. And so when we think about it this way, like we see this necessary relationship between evangelism and discipleship. It's to say this, like if all we do is attempt to evangelize the lost, but we do nothing in regard to baptizing them and teaching them to obey the commands of Jesus, then we failed. Mm-hmm. at the Great Commission. We're living in disobedience. And and that's a tough one to swallow. It was for me when I first mm-hmm. recognized it. Uh, Robbie Gallity is a pastor uh, out in Tennessee, Long Hollow Baptist Church. He says that when we do this, we create spiritual orphans. Mm-hmm. Uh, we may have led someone to Christ, but mm-hmm. in many instances, there's going to be no fruit in their life to know if they truly came to Christ. And there's a good chance that they'll live in disobedience unknowingly mm-hmm. because they had no one to guide them in their walk with Christ. It's really no different than a parent leaving their newborn baby to fend for themselves at birth
0: i want to hunker down right here for a second because i feel like that may be one of the greatest weaknesses of our church today is that we bring them in and then we leave them there we have them teaching sunday school we have them doing all these things but we've never taken the time to really disciple someone i know i wish that i and candy you've said it too that you wish you had had someone to Mm -hmm. take me and even though i ended up being in the ministry and a lot of the positions that i serve in i would give anything if i'd have had that person to because i was saved at 10 years old but then to take me and guide me because I would have made a lot less stupid mistakes mm-hmm. I would have done things a lot differently even though I'm a believer and and all that I've done st- stupid things and um so I think <laughs> <Haven't> we all <laughs> yeah I've been with her when she's done <laughs> yeah some of them candy was you know, <laughs> unaccomplished uh, to, with me but I just feel like and my church included that that has been I would say one of the greatest weaknesses that would be it and even as I'm I'm quite a bit older Than both of y'all. As I'm getting older, I am really realizing the importance of it, and I am now discipling two young girls, a 13 year old and a 14 year old girl. Yeah. And I'm, I think I'm getting a lot more out of it than they're getting out of it. But both of their moms just said I can already see some changes in them in terms of them reading their Bibles more, and that. So it shows me the importance of taking those, especially these new babes in Christ, so to speak and walking alongside them. I don't know if you know a statistic of this when Barna Research or whatever, but I'm sure there are I would I would like to know the statistics of those who have Walked an aisle, been baptized, did the thing for a while, but now nowhere to be found. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of people like that. And I mean, to your point, you know, on the flip side, if, if we go to the, the other side from the discipleship perspective, like if all we do is baptize professing Christ followers mm-hmm. into the body of Christ and teach them God's word, but we don't teach them to obey. Because mm-hmm. there's, two, there's two types of teaching. There's teaching for transformation and there's teaching right. for dissemination. I can mm-hmm. disseminate knowledge to you all day. I mean, I could do that right now for us. You know, I went to school for many, many, many years. I've got multiple advanced degrees, and so I mean, I could throw knowledge. Yeah, we couldn't all day. tell. I could throw knowledge oak. all day long, <laughs> but that's not the purpose of education. The mm-hmm. purpose of education is for transformation, right? To teach people how to grow in their own their own understanding of something, to teach them how to get these answers, to teach them how to walk better with Christ. And so, you know, the point of the Great Commission is to teach to obey, not teach to know, right? It's even what, you know, Jesus says in the Gospel of John. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. He doesn't say you will know them. But what happens is that because we're not teaching people to obey the commands, we're just teaching them to know them. We have churches, and I say this as a sold-out teammate of the church, right? I'm in the same trenches as as, as everyone else. But we have churches filled with immature believers who yes. have a head full of knowledge, Yes, but they have a heart full of sin because they live in disobedience, a lot of which they don't even realize. That's not to, to slam any specific pastor or any specific person because we're all in this together. But, you know, a lot of us, we do what we do because that's what was modeled for us. It's the same way with parents and kids. Like, mm-hmm. you know, kids,
0: You become who you are around. That's right. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, I I wrote an article one time and and did an interview for the the convention and it's talking about how do you get your children into doing missions or doing evangelistic work, right? What does that look like? And, you know, one of the points that I, I used is that when kids are so young... They have such a, an innocent view of the world. They don't know what is or what isn't. And at, at certain points in time, all they want to do is just be with mom and dad. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if mom and dad are outside raking the leaves for the neighbor, that just becomes normal for them. Mm-hmm. Um, if mom and dad are praying for people while they rake these leaves, that just becomes normal. That That is what light. I, I'm just supposed to pray for people. But at the same time, if well, I'll, I'll, I'll hit one that's not always so popular right now, if all mom and dad do is spend every weekend and waking moment at a ball field screaming at an umpire for a child, that's just normal mm.
0: and, and they will grow up doing, and they the, will same grow up doing
2: the same thing the same thing right and it's really where we uh, how we got to where we are in our society in some ways yeah. is because we've mm-hmm. got an entire generation of children that are now adults that act like children
0: breach uh, well, <laughs> it's, it's,
2: but I think that the, the big issue is and I've had this conversation with with other pastors I think my passion when I was in next-gen ministry when I was in student ministry you know one of the mantras that you hear often is that this is the church of the tomorrow, uh, and I don't believe that you know if they have professed faith in Christ they're the church now, Mm -hmm. which means they have responsibilities now. They have expectations now. And so we we treated them as such. And I think that Part of where we struggle in our churches is that we have people who have never been discipled, who are in positions of authority, making decisions for Mm -hmm. the church as a whole. And those decisions are being made by immature believers that Mm -hmm. are not making mature decisions. And that is not to say that I make the greatest decisions or that I'm always on the up and up or uh, what that is. But um, I know in my personal experience, a lot of the issues that I've seen in churches, me included, has been because of a lack of
0: When you say that being discipled, especially if that starts at a young age and you are continued uh, to be discipled, that is who in a perfect world would become your church leaders instead of those that have never been discipled, being in leadership positions, making decisions. I think discipleship has a a lot of great benefits. And one of those would be becoming leaders in their own right within
2: the church. Oh, absolutely. I think in a perfect world, if, if, if we're doing it the way that it's supposed, To be done, then we wouldn't be hiring people outside of our flock to be our pastors. Mm -hmm. Uh, They would be raised up from within. Mm.
0: Now, explain what you mean by that. When you say from within.
2: Well, what, what I mean by that is typically, you know, when a pastor leaves the church to go somewhere else, which I mean, God calls us to various places in various contexts. So that that's not my, my point there. But at pastors, you know, Ephesians four twelve tells us that, you know, God's given the, the body pastors and teachers and evangelists and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, part of the work of the ministry is pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as, as pastors, our job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. The idea of pastors being hired from other places to fulfill a spot in the church as is in a perfect world that wouldn't be the case and a lot of times that's why we have the problems that we have mm-hmm. right because you bring somebody in who has an entirely different culture than the church has and sometimes the, the church churches culture are starting needs over all
0: the time yeah. you know it's, it's yeah. the same
2: thing in youth ministry i remember you know i was in youth ministry for 21 years and so i was considered not even a grandpa i was like a great great grandpa from a youth ministry perspective because mm-hmm. the average youth pastors only stay about two and a half to the five years Mm -hmm. so you think about that from a a children's perspective right a student's perspective who are there for sixth to twelfth grade seven years in student ministry and they could have anywhere from Mm -hmm. three four five yeah three or four five different leaders Mm -hmm. leading them you know one of the beauties of being where you're at and staying where you're at is that one you get to walk these kids through you know whenever i came to our church as the youth pastor the class that when i walked away uh, when i when i transitioned into the position I'm in, that senior class was in kindergarten.
0: Wow and yeah. so
2: you you think of the impact and the influence that I'd been able to have not only on the families but on them you know positive or negative for for their entire career of school mm-hmm. and so it's there's a benefit there when you're raising up leaders from within which is what we should be doing in disciple making because it's supposed to be holistic right you know a pastor's job is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry but a pastor has his vocational responsibilities and he has you know his familial responsibilities familial being you know Christianity as a pastor I I have a responsibility to evangelize people just like you do. Mm -hmm. I have the responsibility to disciple my family just like like y'all do. I have a responsibility to serve in ministry just like y'all do. Vocationally, you know, I have responsibilities that are outlined in the scripture, but my responsibilities vocationally are are not any different in the sense of great commission than yours is. We have to serve in various vocations if we're going to reach the world for Christ. Pastors Mm -hmm. can't do it by themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the things that right, wrong or indifferent, right? I'm not going to put a judgment on it, but I have notoriously been known for being a pastor who... I I do not try to pretend that I've got it all together. I make jokes at times that Brooke and I get an intense fellowship because, you know, we don't argue. Um, (laughs) You know, that's not true. Uh, You know, I have an amazing wife, but Mm -hmm. we still fight. You're both human. Contrary to to public opinion, she's wrong sometimes. (laughs) um but you're
1: and, wrong more and not
2: <laughs> not contrary to public opinion I'm wrong too yeah you know but the beauty of of that alone right there is that even in our home like we've got kids that, that misbehave we've got daughters that are sassy we've got you know 19 uh, month old twins that they're 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 too cute to get mad at right now but um
0: <laughs> candy showed me a picture by the way oh yes. yes. my word yeah. Yeah. yeah
2: and so adorable but I think that it's just the the reality of you know discipleship is something that goes well beyond the church. And when we we fail to disciple people in the church, what happens is that we fail to disciple people in homes. And when we're failing to disciple people in homes, which is the cultural influence of of any society, is the, the family unit, uh, what we're doing is that we're, we're opening our homes and our families up to what we're seeing right now. Uh, you know, statistics show that, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who profess faith in Christ that believe that, you know, that Satan isn't real. That mm-hmm. There is no hell. That, yeah. I mean, you know, these are all discipleship issues. Mm-hmm. And, and taught
0: in our churches. And taught by and leaders churches, yeah, Who were never discipled. <laughs> who were never discipled.
2: That's right, you know, but the beauty of the gospel is that God is gracious and he's a merciful God. And so even in our disobedience, this is the part that always gets me, even in our disobedience, disobedience, we can be obedient to God by repenting of our sins and asking for forgiveness. It's like God is so amazing that he made it such that even when I'm failing miserably, like yeah. he still made it possible for me to honor him. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. And
2: and in honoring him is simply me just admitting that yeah, I got this wrong. But thank God for Christ and the cross yeah. that even though I got this wrong, like I can come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think we miss that aspect of the gospel when it comes to uh, what we're trying to present to the world. Right. You know, what we try to present to the world is I've got it all together. My marriage works. I never fight. My kids are good. I love them every. Single Single day with my whole heart, and never think ill of them or Instagram
1: never, world right? and like Facebook. That's yeah. what it looks like, beautiful yeah. all the time.
2: It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's obviously their sin nature. But you know, I saw something the other day that said, you know, stop using your excuse for not going to church. The people at the church, you know, just call it what it is. You just don't want to go. I, I don't, I don't buy into that because that's like saying, you know, stop using broccoli as an excuse for why I don't eat broccoli, and um, that's you know, it's not right. It's like well, no, the reason why I don't eat broccoli because I don't like the taste of it Mm -hmm. like there's a justification there and in a lot of ways you know I do apologetics defending the Christian faith I engage with a lot of lost people unchurched people people that were in church not in church atheists people who don't believe and you know a common consensus is a lot of the reason why they want nothing to do the church is because of the people like you talk to them about Jesus in the Bible, like they love Jesus of the Bible. They love what, what he represents. They love these ideas of compassion and and mm-hmm. unmerited favor and mercy and grace and these things that we see in the scripture. But what you find is that a lot of their their ill experience with Jesus came through people. Um, and that happens, right? Right. But, you know, in youth ministry, um, I used to always joke with parents that, hey, listen, you, you don't need to call me up and tell me what's going on at home. I already know. Yeah. Uh, you know, prayer time in children's ministry and youth ministry is one of the most informative <laughs> oh, yes. moments. For of,
0: real. We did a break about of, that one right? time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I've learned a lot about people's families by teaching.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think that's where... Like, if, if you went into my house this morning and you gathered my family around, my, my oldest daughter, Kinsley, and then Emily and, and my wife, and said, hey, listen, uh, and I sat down with them and you were there and I said, hey, listen, I want to tell you guys, uh, I want to tell you everything I do wrong. None of them are going to get a notepad out. <laughs> Why do you think that is? They already know. They already know, They yeah. live with
1: them.
2: <laughs> right? Yeah. And I think where we do ourselves a disservice is whenever we try to act publicly in a way that our family knows is not true privately. And I think that's where the disconnect comes with with a lot of this generation that's walking away is because, Mm -hmm. you know, and even people outside of the church is that they know who we are Mm -hmm. and they don't they don't call us hypocrites because they know who we are and and, and we fall short of that. I think the reason why they call us hypocrites is because we fall short of the standard we say is the standard and then we give ourselves grace and continue to live that way. But yet we give them condemnation and send them to hell.
0: Yes. yes. Right. And it's
2: like, but we're living the same way instead of recognizing that. No, no, no. Uh, You know, me and my wife do fight. We don't have it all together. But let me tell you what the difference is Mm -hmm. between where I'm at and and, and where you're at. Like we're not different in the sense of we have Mm -hmm. sin in our life and we have marriages that struggle sometimes and struggle as parents and things of that nature. What's different about us is where I place my hope in getting out of that and where you place your hope.
1: Yes, yes. It's part one of a two-part series here with Pastor Eric Simmons speaking on the importance of evangelizing and discipling. And next week on Quirks, Bumps, and Bruises, we'll have the second part.
0: Thanks for listening to the Quirks, Bumps, and Bruises podcast with Candy and Melody. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and share the podcast. You can learn more at joyfm.org.
2: peas and carrots podcast for more encouragement brian and kayla share life from their piece of the vegetable patch expect a laugh find common ground and hear stories you can't wait to share it's a podcast about doing life together growing in christ together and learning to laugh no matter what comes your way search peas and carrots podcast wherever you listen to podcasts today Get quick encouragement on the go with your Encouraging 5-Minute Podcast. It's a weekly dose of encouragement to start your week off right. Search your Encouraging 5-Minute Podcast today. Navigating life as a mom or a dad in a blended family can be a real challenge. But working together with God's help, there are strategies that work and ideas to come Blended is a podcast hosted by Dad and Pastor Derek Withrow, designed as real help for the 40% of families with kids from a previous marriage. Make it your next download on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen.